Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He koonai pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I like our changing world. Piki mai kake mai and welcome to our changing world. Ko Alison Balance aho. Later on, we'll catch up with the latest rather worrying kākāpō news. But first... I'm off to Island Bay in Wellington to catch up with freshwater fish biologist Evan Harrison from Greater Wellington Regional Council. Now, I've come to do a story with you about freshwater ecology, but I'm in the oddest place for a freshwater yeah. ecology story. So yeah, we're on a, it is quite strange, eh? Quite a busy road in Island Bay. There's a hole in the pavement in front of somebody's house and no sign of a stream. <laughs> yeah, so once upon a time there actually used to be a stream flowing all the way along here, up into the hills, all the way over the back there, around the back of Island Bay. So that was Paiakawakawa stream. And is there any semblance of that stream left if you went up into what would have been the headwaters? Is oh still yeah, there? a couple of little bits up around the headwaters. So you can see some of the headwaters streams up on the hills near Brooklyn, so around Farnham Street behind McAllister Park few different fish species up there so the main one that we get up there is um, banded cockapoo and so what we think is they're moving up through the pipes up into there and because they're white bait species so they need to move from the ocean back up into the fresh water when they're spawning. Right so they are still migrating in and out of the stream? Well that's what we're trying to find out going down into the pipes because we know there's eels down there we've seen eels down there but it would be good to confirm that the fish are actually moving back and forward through there so that's why Alex is going down there. So Alex can we borrow you for a minute? Can I get you to introduce yourself? I'm Alex James I work for a company called Eos Ecology. I got this idea from some previous work I'd been doing where I was just looking at the little remnant open parts in these catchments and I figured you know, there's 90% of the catchment has, has been piped, so it must be worth having a look down on the pipes. So you've got this little pilot study looking at six pipe stream sites where you drop down manholes, although one of them you walk up an outlet of the ocean in Evans Bay, and um, you were just trying to see what's there, essentially. This is the second visit. The first visit we did macroinvertebrate sampling using similar methods to what you use in, in open streams. We also installed a, a sticky trap, Basically a, a sticky piece of plastic that catches uh, flying insects. We recovered our first one this morning at, at another site and there were at least four different adult fly species attached to it, which is uh, pretty exciting. So uh, there's, there's things flying around down there, which is um, quite of interesting. Very unexpected. It must be pretty dark down there, it's I'm thinking. 100% darkness, I'd say. It's just um, pitch black. And so this return visit, we're recovering those sticky traps and also trail cameras I'd put down there which are set up to take a photo every every 20 minutes, I think I did them. And this trip we're specifically doing a, a fish survey just using spotlights to just get an idea of how many fish we can see down there. The previous visit to this particular site we're, we're at now, I think I counted about 11 eels over about 100 metres. So we're just going to do that a little more formally and also we're going to go 100 metres downstream of the manhole and 100 metres upstream of the manhole, cover like a 200 metre reach and count the eels, uh, try and work out if they're long fins or short fins, and uh, get a bit of an estimate on, on their length. 
Now, while we've been talking, somebody's just disappeared into that hole in the ground. Do you want to describe to me what they're doing? There's an open manhole on a footpath in Island Bay, and they've put down the first person using a, a tripod and winch system. And having been to the site before, I can tell you exactly what it's like down there. You could stand up easily. It must be two metres tall and over two metres wide. So it's a great big sort of, I guess, almost square cavern. And you drop quite, this is one of the, you must drop down two and a half, three metres to get to the bottom. And we're only about 200 odd metres from where the um, stream enters Island Bay. Do you get any seawater coming back up at high tide? Last time I didn't see any barnacles or things, so I don't think the seawater comes up quite up, quite up to this point. And in saying that, another one of our sites, which is in, in Lower Miramar, just by the shops in Miramar there, it's definitely um, tidal and um, yeah, the barnacles and things living in the pipes. Now I suspect you might be needed to um, yeah, go down, down so yep. off yep. you go. Yep. <laughs> Can you introduce yourself and just tell me what your role is here? My name is Renee Wilkie. I am the pretty much health and safety of, of this job here. Our company, Silver Lining, the boss is running away actually. <laughs> so we're a small family run operation. That being uh, my dad, my sister, the gentleman in the pipe with Alex is my brother, and this gentleman here is my cousin. I've been doing this for about two years now. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. The best thing about it is actually helping the environment, so making sure that. We know what goes down the drain, and also to have the Kaimawana as well, because obviously, being a Māori, we love our seafood, <laughs> and moderation, but also to make sure that everything that's in our drains can survive, and also just educating everyone else as well. Does all the stormwater from all these houses feed into this pipe as well? Correct. Yep. So if, there's, if they're not directly connected, most of them are connected to the curb, and then the curb goes into the sumps, sumps go straight down into the culverts, and out into the sea. So that's why when you see it, when there's a heavy rain, you'll notice it sees quite dirty because it's washing away everything from the gutters. Time for Alex to go underground. Awesome. We just took down a sticky trap. Which is basically a sticky piece of plastic that catches flying insects. So I've not had a look at this one beforehand, there wasn't much on it. Right, now we are um, progressing for a bit of a fish survey over a 100 metre reach downstream of the um, manhole entrance. Cool. Okay, seen our first couple of meals. Can you shine right on There you go. <laughs> Just proven you can capture the eels underground. Um, this is a little long fish. This one of the eels, that's a piece of cord. Whoa, some really neat um, wave sounds down here. Um, well, loud. Oh, there's a little, it's a very small one. He is a short fin. This is actually one of the deeper parts we've seen. This little, just this tiny little pool of eroded concrete. It has a demon energy energy drink can in it, which is a nice touch. Yeah. And it's also got some sand accumulation. And you can see here, I think I'm actually seeing two separate eels there. 
buried in the sand. These guys are looking for any tiny bit of cover they can find. He's almost completely, he just, he's gone. Just gone, been... gone, completely gone. And there's the head of this one. And there's something over here too, there might be, what's that there? That's another one. That's another All one. All the yeah. same one. The heels over here. There's, there's like three eels buried in the sand here, which is kind of crazy. Sounds like something's coming down the pipe, but we know it's not. We'll leave Alex down in the noisy dark and head back to Evan up on the street. So how many streams are you checking as part uh, of this project? So we've got a mixture of surface streams and pipe streams. So 14 sites we're doing for the surface streams, so all the little streams surrounding the city. So yeah, we're trying to, at the moment, as part of this um, monitoring program that we're doing in collaboration with Wellington City Council, is getting an idea just to start with about what's living in all these streams, what's living in the pipes, how it's using it. And then the idea is about halfway through this year is to set up a long-term monitoring program. Once we've got an idea, want the variability around the different streams in the city and then um, yeah, make some recommendations around that halfway through the year with Wellington City Council and how we can move forward with it. Are you finding quite a bit of variation between the streams? Yeah, yeah, it does vary quite a bit. So you get right up into those nice headwater streams that have got really good habitat. So you have a lot better sort of fish communities up in there and um, macroinvertebrate communities as well just because they like macroinvertebrates especially to get that diversity like that really good habitat lots of places to hide same with fish as well and um, there's one stream that we sampled on the south coast um, Waipapa stream um, which has got no urban development in that catchment at all and no piping or anything so we want to sample that as more of a control just to get an idea about what some of the catchments used to be like around Wellington and that's the only catchment that we've got a short jaw cockapoo in so that's that's one of the rarer whitebait species so that was really cool when we found that so myself and Sham, one of our monitoring officers, we're walking up the stream at about 9pm at night and we're like, oh, that looks like a short jaw. And yeah, lo and behold it was. It was quite a big one as well, which was um, really cool to see. So you were out at night because you spotlight with torches? Yeah, yeah. So we're doing spotlighting, quite similar to what Alex is doing in the pipes here as well. So that's one of the common ways to know what fish are at a site because a lot of them move around a lot more at night. So that involves our team going out at night to all these surface streams and um, yeah, walking up a few hundred metres of each of these streams, which is really cool because the stream's quite different at night when you're um, walking up it. And yeah, it's a, the best way to actually spot a lot of New Zealand native fish. So is this a standard thing for a council to do? Oh no, it's something new and different. So for us, we've always focused on the um, surface stream side of things. That was something that we wondered. We were like, oh, there's all these pipe streams in Wellington where you've got over 95% of the streams piped and oh what ecological value have they got in there what what fish are in there what bugs are there what's the habitat like because it's got to be stuff living there surely and moving through there that we need to look after and manage into the future. All the stormwater from around here must feed into these pipes, which must make it pretty tricky for the fish that are down there. Yeah. If you get a, a big rain event, a massive water comes shooting through. It must yep. be a hard place to be a fish. Yeah, that's the thing. So there's a few different things at play there. In some of these bigger pipes, you'll get nowhere for the fish to hide if it's going really fast because you think it's coming off all this really smooth ground and it's going to go in there really fast, really quickly. So I guess 
maybe one of the things we need to think about from what we find from this, are there opportunities to provide some refuge for fish in pipes to hide in the higher flow times and so they can have a rest as they're moving up the pipes as well because well, if it's really fast water they're going to get really exhausted and that's not going to be good for them moving up into the surface stream areas up in the catchment. And the other thing to worry about with fish and bugs as well is the um, quality of the water going into the pipes as well. So, so that's really a message for people living in around Wellington as well is just be careful what you're putting down the drain as well because it's not there's fish and bugs moving through the pipes. So yeah, that's going to affect how how healthy they are as well. So if you see anyone doing anything they shouldn't be putting stuff down the pipes, it would be to um, give Greater Wellington Regional Council's Environmental Pollution Hotline a call, and we can have a look at it. And then of course there's all the other standard things like the brake linings off cars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shed quite a few. Yeah, things. that side of things as well. So you've got all those road runoff and that side of things coming in there, copper and zinc going into the pipes and a bit of contamination coming in that way as well. <laughs> so you're winding in the safety line. Yep. So they're on their way back. They are indeed. Oh, eels. Eels? Yeah, yeah cool. Short ones, mostly long ones, a couple of short ones. Yeah. So there it was eely down there? There are eels down there, and there's basically seven eels downstream and eight upstream, so pretty, pretty, pretty similar. Yeah. Um, mostly long fins, a couple of short fin eels, and interestingly, a lot of them are hiding beneath bits of brick or bits of concrete and stuff, so that even in pitch darkness, the eels are seeking out cover. So there's a lot we could do down there to make it um, actually better for eels. Yeah, be. totally, yeah. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Like what? We could create d- deeper areas, deeper pools, because it's very shallow down there, and they prefer deeper water. We could put in sort of half-broken, um, like, sewer pipes, just pipes, terracotta pipes and that from the hide underneath, or various types of eel hidey holes that kind of, as long as they're large enough, they don't wash away during, during high flows. Um, yeah. You could do a lot to improve habitat down there for eels. Any other fish down there? No other fish down there that, that I could see, although we do know, Evans probably already talked about this, but we do know that um, banded cockapoo, especially in this catchment, travel up these pipes to get to upstream open channels where we know there's little populations of them. Yeah, so we've seen in some of the surface stream streams around Wellington when we've been spotlighting them at night, you'll see a range of different sizes of fish in there, the really big ones, and we've seen tiny little white bait. So we know they're, they're moving up through there, That's just quite hard to get them in the pipes and thinking about managing these systems as streams rather than as stormwater yep you know there might be a fish right under 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 your feet right there thanks alex that was alex james from eos ecology and we also heard from evan harrison senior freshwater scientist at greater wellington regional council and a big thanks to renee and the rest of the wilkie Fano from silver lining contracting and a reminder that if you missed our recent story about tagging longfin eels to see where they go on their breeding migration, you'll find that at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kei te whakaronga mai kwe ki tō tātou auhoruhori, hei hōtaka e pānaki a papatuanuku tangaroa meirangi nui. I'm Alison Balance and you're with Our Changing World on RNZ. Now... It's time to catch up with the latest Kākāpō news from episode 19 of the Kākāpō Files podcast. Kia ora and welcome to the Kākāpō Files, Deirdre. Kia ora, Ellie. So last time on the podcast I spoke with Daryl and it was worrying times for Kākāpō and 
Sad to say, I think the worrying times are carrying on, aren't they? Yeah, we're still very much in the middle of worrying times at the moment. So last time I spoke with you, which was actually four weeks ago now, we talked about Hoki having to be euthanised. Uh, she had a bad case of aspergillosis, which couldn't be treated. In the last episode of the podcast, two weeks ago, we heard of the deaths of gumboots, Arab, and there were also four chick deaths. Uh, and since then, there's been more sad news. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, unfortunately, we lost another mother to aspergillosis. So on the 23rd of May, we lost Huhana. She was a, a 10-year-old female, a really good breeder, and had been doing so well on her nest this year. And we caught her just prior to moving her up to Auckland Zoo and could tell that she wasn't in a very good way at the time that we screened her. Uh, and she died soon after arriving at Auckland. Oh, that's very unfortunate. She was a bit of a young record breaker, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. She was our youngest female to breed at age five. So, yeah, she's broken a few records and she's been a bit of a, a favourite for some of the team this year. So it's been really hard to lose Huhana and adding to losing Hawkey, it's very, very difficult to lose the adults. Of course, it's really hard to lose the chicks as well, but they haven't quite become fully fledged kākāpō, part of the population as yet. So it does hit harder when we lose those mothers. Now, for most of the breeding season, the number of adult birds has been 147, with the loss of hooky, gumboots, arab and huhana now. That took us to 143 birds. But I notice that you've revised the total now to 142 adult birds. Can you explain that? Yeah, that's right. So what's happened there is we have a founder male by the name of Murti who lived on Hotudu, Little Barrier Island, and we haven't actually seen Murti for many years. Uh, we have a a bit of a protocol here that once a bird goes missing, five years later we'll assume that they've died if we haven't been able to find them in that time. And Murti's coming up to that five-year anniversary of, of not being seen and he definitely hasn't used his track and bowl system for a third year this summer. So we're fairly confident now that, that he has died. So it was come some time ago, um, but he's officially come off that population tally now. And also in the last episode when I spoke to Daryl, they had just CT scanned the first of a, a clutch of birds, really. So we had Uatanga, Otepo, and about four chicks, I think. Since then, you've actually sent quite a few more birds off Whenua Ho to the mainland. Uh, where have they all gone, and how are they? Yeah, so at the moment, we have 12 kākāpō up at Auckland Zoo. So we have those five that you discussed last time who had recently had a CT scan and all confirmed with aspergillosis, plus a sixth bird that had been there for quite some time who may also have aspergillosis. So six confirmed cases there, and they've been joined by another six birds who were just CT scanned over the weekend and we're currently awaiting for their results. The birds appear to be in really good shape. They're feeding well, they're looking great, uh, but of course, as we know, they can hide the symptoms of aspergillosis quite well. So it's a bit of an anxious wait to get those results back from those next six birds. And so 12 at Auckland Zoo, you must have some others somewhere else as well. Yes, that's right. So we have six kākāpō at Dunedin Wildlife Hospital. So two of those chicks are there for unrelated issues. One of them was the wee brain hernia chick who's doing really, really well after surgery. And the other chick had a broken leg who also is recovering really well. But there are four chicks there with potentially having aspergillosis, but they get to be screened. We'll do that in the next few days. And also at Wild Base Math University, we have four chicks from Anchor Island 
So we had been thinking that Anchor had been completely clear of this issue. We had The chicks there had all been growing really well. We hadn't had any problems. And then last Thursday, uh, we detected some weight loss in two nests. And obviously, we're very anxious at the moment about the potential for aspergillosis to be there as well. So we acted quite quickly there and shifted those chicks to Massey University Wild Base. And they were CT scanned this morning. And the great relief is that they do not appear to have aspergillosis. So there's something else there affecting that, what the weight loss of those chicks, but that is a real relief for the team. Oh, that's great to get those results so quickly. Are you trying to deliberately keep them separate from the whenua birds? Is that why you sent them to Massey? Yes, that's one of the reasons. And the other reason is, is just sheer capacity of uh, sites like Auckland Zoo or Dunedin to hold birds. So we've got lots of uh, people pitching in to help us, which is fantastic. Oh, well, I'm very pleased to hear that Anchor doesn't seem to have aspergillosis. That's quite a relief. It sure is. So far, we haven't had any aspergillosis confirmed there whatsoever. We hope that that stays the case. Uh, we will be doing some blood sampling out on Anchor, particularly of the mothers or chicks that have been in nest this year, just to double-check health status there um, and make sure we're keeping an eye on that. But so far, so good. What about down on Whenua Ho? Are you still blood-testing birds? We have ramped that up. We've got through the majority of it, what we considered to be our higher risk birds. So those were the, the mothers or chicks that had been in direct contact with chicks that, or mothers that had died. And so we're nearly through that initial group for blood tests, but we are ramping up and trying to expand that across the wider population just to truly understand where the extent of this lies. So the birds that have been confirmed to have aspergillosis, I assume the vets are treating them with antifungal medication. How long do you think they'll have to stay on the mainland for? Well, it could be quite a while. The minimum time that I understand before you would even recheck them via CT scan would be approximately six weeks of treatment. So I've heard that treatment can take you know, several months, maybe even four or five, maybe even six months. So this is a long-term issue that we're facing here. Well, interestingly, on the weekend, we did a repeat CT scan on one of the chicks that was worse off with aspergillosis from a confirmed list. So we will get a bit of an indication once those results are through about the effectiveness of the treatment that we're currently using. Gosh, it just throws out your breeding season longer and longer, doesn't it? There's not going to be a nice tidy end. We can go, right, we can wrap this up and go home. We felt like we were a team just about at the end of a, of a marathon, and now we've been told we have to do another lap. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been pretty busy, but we're all absolutely dedicated to making the best of this situation and, and trying to follow it through as quickly and as effectively as possible. There must be lots of healthy chicks, though, still running around on your islands. Well, that's right. We still have 73 chicks alive, and we're trying to hold on to that. You know, that's still a really good number. It's just at the moment there's so much uncertainty around the health status, I suppose, of, of a large number of them. Um, but hopefully the coming weeks we'll get a lot more clarity on that. Have you got any other news from the islands? Yeah, Ellie, over the last few days we've pulled in the last six chicks on Whenua Ho that were still in nests. So the chicks were around about the 60-day-old mark. They were probably still a few weeks away from fledging. But just in case that what we're facing here is purely an environmental issue with high spore loadings in the nest, then we thought we would remove those last chicks from the nest to make sure that we're not kind of keeping any ongoing risk there. So six more chicks have come in for hand-rearing um, just in the last few days. This is back in Invercargill? No, actually on Whenua Ho itself. 
So on Whenuaho at the moment, we have eight chicks being hand-reared who have been hand-reared throughout the season for various reasons. And those chicks are coming very close to being released, actually, uh, hopefully in the next few weeks, which will be a great milestone. And in a pen adjacent to those birds, we now have the six slightly younger birds from the second round of clutches, and we'll finish off the hand-rearing uh, in the pens with those birds. So we'll be hand-rearing chicks now through until about mid-July. How are things down on Anchor Island? Still pretty wet and muddy? Yeah, we've had a lot of rain lately. <laughs> Broken the dry spell. So, well, actually, I don't know if Anchor ever had a dry spell, to be honest. But, no, the team are doing really, really well out there. Things are feeling like they're humming along, actually. So, so far, so good on Anchor. So, staff-wise, are you still running at capacity on both islands? We are, and we've called upon additional staff to help us uh, from around the country with this blood sampling programme. So, yeah, we're getting really good support internally from the department, which is fantastic, and we're able to, to ramp up that work as, as required. Thanks, Deirdre. And a bit of a bio on the male Murti, who has just been declared dead. He was found on Rakiura, Stewart Island, in 1982, and moved first to Hauturu Little Barrier Island, and then later to Whenuahau, before going back to Hauturu. He was named in honour of the late Don Merton, who did so much for kākāpō conservation in the 1970s and 80s. In terms of breeding, Murti, the bird, was a bit of a late starter. But in 2009, while he was on Whenuaho, he had a great year. He fathered whare tutu and wolf with Hana Nui, and moss and millie with Margaret Marie. Margaret Marie, by the way, is another founder bird from Stewart Island, and she is one of the birds that has been sent to the mainland for investigation. Now, as we all know, the situation with Kākāpō is a rapidly evolving one. I recorded my conversation with Deirdre on the afternoon of May the 28th, and as I'm putting this episode together on the morning of the 29th, I've heard we have an update on some of the test results. So, here with the news is Kākāpō scientist Andrew Digby. Kia ora and welcome back to the Kākāpō Files, Andrew. Kia ora, Alison. I wish we were talking about some happier things, but I gather you've had some test results for some of the birds that have been scanned for aspergillosis. Uh, what are they? Yes, we do. We've got results from four of the birds that have been scanned, and mostly bad news, I'm afraid. We have found out that Margaret Marie, so she's an adult, one of the founders, she's probably got moderate to severe aspergillosis. Nora 1A is a chick who is with Huhana. She has severe aspergillosis. Pura 1B, um, another chick who was with Margaret Marie, has got mild to moderate aspergillosis. So that's, yeah, that's pretty hard news, especially finding out that one of our founder birds and Margaret Marie has, has it too. On the bright side, we found out that Ponamu likely doesn't have it. And I say likely because CT scan is the best uh, indication of whether a bird has aspergillosis that we have at the moment, but it's, it's not definitive, so it's possible that there could be a little bit of um, error in some of those estimates. So you're very definitely getting clusters, aren't you? So that I'm thinking Huhana with Nora 1A, those birds that have been in the same nest, clearly they've been really high fungal spore loading in those nests. Yeah, that's what we think so. It's, it's possible that they were alternatively subject to some other cause, so some maybe a virus or something like that, which weakened their immune systems, and then they succumbed to the to the aspergillosis but yeah it may well be that there's just high loads in those nests and you know I've been drawing up some social networks and and there's definitely clustering of these cases. 
Mm. Now, interestingly, just as a bit of an aside here, because I know you've got some other news, people keep coming up to me and they're going, Kakapo don't have very great genetic diversity. Is that either the problem or part of the problem with aspergillosis? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, we don't know. It's it's easily possible. We know that one of the problems with inbreeding is a result of it normally results in less efficient immune systems, uh, weakened immune systems, and that could well be the case here. On the other hand, we have hardly ever seen aspergillosis in Kakapo before, um, and genetically these birds have not changed a great deal, um, especially with adults. Yeah, so I guess the jury's out on that one a little bit, but having inbreeding certainly wouldn't help. Now, what other news did you get late last night? We got some more blood results back. So these are from some electrophoresis tests that we have, which is currently our best indication from blood tests of whether a bird has aspergillosis or not. And it's you know, only just a guide. Um, it's definitely not definitive, but we have some results which look quite bad from a number of chicks on Fenua So two chicks in C's nest, ehe 2B and EE3B, Nora 3B, who was in Nora's nest, Awarua 4A in Cindy's nest, and then Rakiura's chicks, um, all three of those have got blood results which don't look great. So we are aiming to take most of those, if not all, off Fenua today. Gosh, those wildlife hospitals around the country are going to be groaning. Yes, they are. Yeah, we're extremely grateful for the support that they're giving us and those guys are doing an amazing job. Have you got an adult male that's also going off? Yeah, we're aiming to send Merv off, potentially. So he's an old founder male. He's never produced offspring. He has got eye problems, possibly cataracts. We're not sure. So we're sending him off and he'll see an ophthalmologist and hopefully get um, those operated on. But it's a real shame. You know, we've got to be really careful of those random males. We don't need to have any other health issues at the moment, but this is the sort of thing which does happen from time to time. Gosh, this situation is just changing so rapidly day by day. You have a moment where you think there might be a respite and then it just all goes to pieces again. Yeah, yesterday was a bit of a roller coaster. It was great news finding out that the anchor chicks probably didn't have aspergillosis and then to find out that we've got a raft more birds on Fenua Ho, yeah, it was a bit of a, a blow. Good luck to Doc's Kakapo team, the vets who are helping out, and of course all the sick birds. I post episodes of the Kakapo Files podcast on the Our Changing World webpage, rnz.co.nz slash world. You'll also find the Elemental Chemistry podcast there. It's up to francium and gadolinium. And you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter while you're there as well. Stay in touch with us. We're on Twitter and Facebook as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Until next time, it's good night from me, Alison Balance. Kia pai topo.